So I have been the intern here <clears throat> for going on two years. December 31st will be two years. And since about June or July, I've been telling Audrey, you know, it's, it really seems like God has been calling me to vocational ministry. And for a while, we thought it was maybe going to be church planting, but if not, definitely some sort of vocational ministry. And so since then, every time Audrey and I talk about it, we're, we're crying. Seriously, every time we've talked about leaving you guys, <clears throat> tears well up in us. So I have prayed and I've had guys pray for me before this that I'm not going to cry my whole way through this sermon because it was hard in theory to think about leaving you guys, and, and now it's reality. Two weeks ago, Windsor Community Church offered me a full-time position to start on January 1st. Thank you. Thank you. And I joyfully accepted, but it's bittersweet. I love you guys with my whole heart, and my wife does too. And so this will be a bit of a farewell sermon. And I'm already crying, and I haven't even started yet. So that's why I had to warn the visitors, because everyone else knows that's pretty normal of me, but the prayer was that I didn't cry the whole way through. So we're pausing uh, our series in Hebrews. I was tasked to preach an open sermon on the theme of Thanksgiving, and by God's gracious providence, I would have preached on Thanksgiving for one of my farewell sermons anyway. I'm scheduled to preach, God willing, one more time, the last Sunday of this year, December 26th. But we'll count this as a part one sermon on Thanksgiving. Uh, we'll be in Colossians this morning, chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. So if you want to stand and give honor as I read the Word of God. Paul and Timothy write to the church in Colossae, verse 3. We thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you in humility and reverence and worship for who you are and for what you've done for us. Lord, you know that I'm not the only one who loves this church with their whole heart. I love, Lord, that we can come every week and sing songs to you for who you are and for what you've done. We're humbled at the way you've loved us, Lord, that you've sent your son to pay for our sins, to die on a cross, and to raise and to ascend and to intercede for us and to send the Holy Spirit who causes us to be born again and we can see your glory and your holiness and your love for us. Lord, I pray so much, so, so deeply this morning that you would remove me, that we would stare upon you and the glories of the gospel and the love you've given us for each other and that we would overflow in thanksgiving as this is thanksgiving week lord but as christians we can be thankful every minute of every day for who you are and for what you've done so pray that you'd be glorified now in your saints hearts i pray this in jesus name amen you can be seated we have an over under on how many kleenexes i'm going to use today and i think I'm going to lose the bet because I said three, and that's already one down. 
I want to share a few stories of you guys from my life of when Thanksgiving overflowed in my heart. They're really fun. I can't do them all justice, especially one of them, but they're fun to tell. In 1996, the Nintendo 64 came out. I have an older brother, and we refer to this time in our lives as the, the Great Collusion of 1996. We really wanted the Nintendo 64, and my grandparents bought it for us, and they bought my parents a food dehydrator, they wrapped the presents, and then purposefully they put Chad and Chris's name on the food dehydrator, and Jimmy and Lisa's name on the Nintendo 64, and they saved those two presents for the very end. So we haven't opened the Nintendo 64 yet, and we're at the last one, it's a big box, and we're like, yes, this is our Nintendo 64, and we open it, and it's a food dehydrator. A nine-year-old and an 11-year-old, and we're like, come on, seriously. And then mom and dad opened the Nintendo 64, and we both started, ah, oh my gosh, we're like tug-of-warring on the Nintendo 64, and thankfulness just overflowed in our hearts. Another story, you got three more. Uh, when Audrey and I got engaged, we're looking for a wedding venue to get married. As everyone who's engaged is looking for a venue, we had a shoestring budget, but we found the perfect place. It was going to be the most expensive thing we spent on our wedding, but we were going to make payments for like six or seven months up until our wedding day. We made a, a tiny deposit on it, signed on the dotted line, and then came back three weeks later to make another payment. And they pull out our file, and they're like, oh, Chad and Audrey, like we thought we owed like $3,500 more on this thing. And they're like, you're paid in full. We're like, what? Like, we don't know who, but you're paid in full. Have a great day. And we get in the car and we're crying. We're like, Lord, thank you. That is an amazing gift. Wow. Story number three. Now here, here's the story that's really hard for me to tell and, and tell it shortly. So if you want to get coffee between now and the next 40 days, this is one of the best stories you will ever hear, but I'm barely going to do it justice. In 2012, I went to Europe with one of my good friends. We said, before we get big boy jobs and become men, let's go to Europe for 35 days. We started in London, our first full day in London. Long story short, we're walking past Buckingham Palace, thousands of people, two Americans, and some guy points at my friend Brian's like, hey, I know you. And Brian's like, what do you mean? Like, I'm, you know, this is our first day, I'm an American. He's like, whatever, I know you. You guys are obviously here for the Olympics, right? Because you all know, you're Olympic nerds, that the Olympics were in London in 2012. And we're like, no, we're not here for the Olympics. We're here on a shoestring budget. We can't afford the Olympics. And he's like, well, I got two extra tickets, so you guys are going. He gives us tickets to the tennis match. I would have gone if it was underwater basket weaving. I love the Olympics. I would go watch chess if that was a thing. Like, I'd watch any of it. He gives us tickets to Wimbledon, to a suite, all-inclusive, to watch the best tennis players in the world at center court. We saw Novak Djokovic. We saw Serena Williams. We saw... Um, the British guy who won the gold medal, Andy Murray, and we asked these waitresses, we had one waitress per person, by the way, while we are there, how much were these tickets? About 8,000 pounds apiece, $16,000 per ticket. You think I was thankful for that? You think I'm still thankful for that and love telling that story to people? Thankfulness rises in my heart as I tell that story. One more quick one, it's just from a few weeks ago. Uh, there's a new guy in our body who manages a, a car shop and I needed some brakes on my car. So I take it to him. I know him. I trust him. He loves the Lord. I'm going to take it to him. And it was a big repair. It was brakes. So it wasn't cheap. I brought it in one afternoon and, and it stayed overnight. I came the next day to pick up my car and he hands me my paper and my keys. and He's like, you're all set. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, I haven't even paid yet. You, maybe you think I paid yesterday when I was in, but I haven't paid yet. And he's like, well, the thing right there says paid in full. Have a good day. $600 bill taken care of by someone. I don't know who. 
I get in the car and thankfulness just overflows in my heart. I'm sure you guys can think of many stories like that in your own lives. There's much for us to be thankful for, but the reality and the hope is that as Christians, we should feel that every day, shouldn't we? We should feel gratitude every day for two big things. That's what I want to say this morning. The gospel and our local church, the crossing church. I've said it before and I'll say it again. This is pretty much my favorite time of the week, Sunday mornings, being with you guys, worshiping God, hearing the word of God preached. I love this place and I am overflowing in gratitude to you guys and for the gospel that is born in this church. You see, three, three years ago, um, Audrey and I limped into this church. We were, we were really church hurt. And many of you have experienced that. I don't know how many know my past, and I'm not going to get too detailed, but I was a pastor for four years at another church in town. And the pastor talked about me taking over, sending me out, and it didn't go. That wasn't God's plan. We had to step down for theological and ministry philosophy reasons. It was really rough. And when we came here, we were hurt. We were wounded. We were injured. But we have grown so much here. More than I believe in the previous five years combined. We've been loved, encouraged, challenged so well by this church and by our pastors. And through the ministry of this whole church, not just the pastors, we have grown in our understanding, our thankfulness, our gratitude for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have experienced God's love through all of you, and so therefore we are so thankful for this church. And that's what we see Paul and Timothy say to the Colossian church in these verses, Colossians 1, 3 through 6. Some quick context. Paul didn't plant this church. The church got its start with a Colossian convert named Epaphras who heard Paul preach the gospel in Ephesus and then brought the good news back to his hometown of Colossae. And then Paul and Timothy reconnected with Epaphras in Rome and heard from him how the Colossian church was doing. And this letter is a response to that. It seems like they were doing well, but there was also some false teaching threatening the Colossian church. So these verses, verses 3 through 6, is a typical thanksgiving where Paul thanks God for the gospel taking root and the gospel bearing fruit in the Colossian church and in the world. Uh, I haven't decided to, to break the text into sections like we preachers do sometimes. I just want to consider six words, six realities with you guys this morning from this text. Uh, and the first one is thanks. You see it right there at the beginning of verse 3. He says, we always thank God. Paul says he thanks God. Giving thanks, as you guys know, is a way that we praise God. It's under the umbrella of worship. And for the Christian, we should be thankful more than once a year on Thanksgiving Day or during Thanksgiving week. We should express this thankfulness to God. Many of you may have heard the quote, thanks not expressed is equal to unthankfulness. Thanks should be the primary composition of the carbon dioxide we breathe out. I heard my dad say just the other day, you get out of bed and you put your feet on the floor and you say, thank you, God. There are two sides to the coin of giving thanks, I believe. Number one, it's commanded, and therefore it's obedient. But on the other side, it's a joy. Listen to these verses that command us to give thanks to God. Psalm 107, 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. 
Psalm 136, 1 through 3. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When we understand who God is and what He's done for us, though, how can we not give thanks? We don't give this begrudging thanks. The Holy Spirit works it up in us. This obedience of thanks is a joy. How can we keep from singing? How can we not give thanks to God for who He is and for what He's done? So give thanks, you guys. And who do we give thanks to? That's number two. It's obvious, but I'm preaching the text. He says, we thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You guys know this, but I'll say it anyway. We don't thank Allah. We don't thank Joseph Smith. We don't thank the Watchtower organization. We don't thank the man upstairs, unless we mean the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't thank God who is not the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't thank the universe. You hear that one all the time in America. Thank the universe. Send me positive vibes. Thank you, universe, for these good gifts. There is no one else and no other thing we can or should thank but the only true and real God. The Creator, the Ruler, the Savior, the Judge, the Father. He is the only one we thank and praise. He's the only real one, and He's the only worthy one. I'll never forget, funny you're sitting here in the front, Matt. We did a podcast episode a few a while ago. We've done a few, and I don't remember which one it was. Otherwise, I would have gone back and listened to it. But Matt said something in passing that just hit me in the face. It stuck with me. I don't know if it's your quote or if you found it from someone, but Matt said, the problem with the atheistic worldview is that they have no one to thank. Isn't that amazing to think about? Like that being made in the image of God for most of us causes this need to thank someone, but when you don't believe in God, you have no one to thank. To me, that seems like a tough way to live. And we can thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because through Jesus Christ, we have been adopted by God. And He's our Father, too. He tells the disciples after He rose from the dead, He told Mary, go to them and tell them, I'm going to my God and your God, to my Father and to your Father. Remember, Christians, we don't throw our thanks into the air or to a man-made figment of our imagination. We thank a person. We can thank God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit like we just sang. And there is much to thank God for. But Paul has specific thanks to God. He thanks God for working in the Colossian church. That the gospel has taken hold of their hearts. We could call this gospel root. And the gospel being lived out in their lives. Gospel fruit. And he brings up three Christian virtues that he so often talks about and are foundational to the Christian life. We have them memorized as faith, hope, and love. But in this passage, he says faith, love, and hope. We'll take them in that order. 
So first, he says, he thanks God when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So it begs the question, you, many of you know it, what is faith? What does it mean to have faith? Let's let the Bible define and interpret the Bible. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith has assurance and conviction amidst not seeing and not having experienced the fullness of what God has promised, yet still a certainty. I believe another biblical illustration of what faith is is found in John 1.12. It says this, But to all who did receive Him, Him referring to Jesus Christ, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. So faith is a believing and receiving Jesus Christ and the promises of God for those who exercise such faith. One pastor says it like this. It'll be familiar to those of you who have listened to the beautiful eulogy CD called Worthy. pastor says like this, quote, What is authentic faith? The cultivation of an optimistic outlook on life with a kind of spirituality attached to it? A holy hoping for the best? Is that how you think of faith? Authentic faith is the confident assurance in events not yet seen. Faith is not a call to believe in things when common sense tells you not to. Faith is not a mindless stab in the dark. It is not a crossing of the fingers and hoping for the best. It is not a leap into apparent nothingness. It is a word that speaks of reasoned, careful, deliberate, intentional thought. Thought upon what? God and His promises. If you are absolutely gripped by the coming realities that have been promised to you by God, then how you live your life in the present will be radically different than if you did not possess that certainty. That is what faith is, my friends. Positive certainty expressed in action. Authentic faith is not merely believing in God, it is believing God. Taking God at His word, living in obedience to His revelation, whatever the cost, because you know deep down in your bones that God will always do what He says, that His speaking is His doing. It is an abiding assurance in God and His promises that animates you to persevere in your obedience to Him. Well said, Pastor. Amen. That is what faith is. And then he says, faith in Jesus Christ. Right? It's not a faith in faith. It's not a faith in themselves. It's not a faith in Paul. I heard Sinclair Ferguson one time say, I pray not because I believe in prayer, but because I believe in God. It is a faith in God and His Son, Jesus Christ. For what? If I didn't keep going deeper, I would be assuming the Gospel, and we don't do that at the Crossing Church. Faith in Jesus... Faith that God has made a way for sinners to be saved through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ's perfect life has been credited to me and my sin has been laid on Him. And that in repenting of my sins and placing faith in Jesus, I have been and will be saved. And that my faith is evidence that I have been made alive born again because of God's great love and rich mercy, that I, who at one point was separated from Christ, 
having no hope and without God in the world, I who was once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This faith, this gospel, you guys, is worth thanking God for. For ourselves and for others. As I studied this, I was a bit convicted. I I think I've prayed for people, thanking God for what He's done in their lives. But it's not that often that I thank God for your faith. So let me take the opportunity now to say, I thank God for your faith, Crossing Church. For the Gospel that God has saved you and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. I pray and encourage you to be thankful, not just for your own salvation and faith, but for the faith of this church. The second Christian virtue that Paul is thankful to God for is love. He says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Paul is thankful to God for the love that the Colossians have for all the saints. I think implied here is the love they have, not just in general for all Christians, though he does mean that, but specifically for one another within the Colossian church. And this love, just like faith, comes from God. And it's why Paul is thanking God for it. 1 John 4.19 says what? We love because He first loved us. That's why we can love. Love with a supernatural love like God has. And the love that we have for each other at the crossing is something to be very thankful for. And it is something I am very, very thankful for. I'm sure if Paul wrote us a letter or one of our pastors wrote us a letter, they would say the same thing that Paul says here to the Colossians. Thankful for the love we have for all the saints. And it may seem general, and here it it is, but maybe he has people in mind. He hadn't met this church, but maybe there was correspondence and he heard about people. We, We can read other letters of Paul and see how personal he does get sometimes. At the end of the book of Romans... Paul sends his greetings and encouragements to at least 28 people. He mentions their household as well, but 28 people by name. He gives them an encouragement. He says, I love you. I'm thankful for your love and then encourages them. He knew and loved many of the people in the churches he wrote to. So inspired by that, I want to express my love for some of you. Um, and this won't be exhaustive. And here I struggle with the fear of man and people pleasing that I'm not going to get to say all of you. Probably the reason I struggled so much this week to to write a sermon is because really I just wanted to stand up here for an hour and name you all by name and tell you I love you and thank you. But I love you enough not to do that and to preach to you the Word of God and get out of the way. Thanks, Beth, for saying that. I won't wax eloquent, but here for me will be the hardest part of the sermon. Uh, Pastors, I love you guys. Oh, I got a little bit more to go here. Thanks for giving me your lives, for discipling me and training me, for giving me a seat at the table, for helping to heal Audrey and I and getting ready to send us out. Thank you for feeding us the Word of God every Sunday. Three years ago when I came here, if you would have asked me who my favorite preachers are, I would have said John Piper, John MacArthur, Kevin DeYoung, R.C. Sproul. In three years, I say my favorite preachers are Aaron Santini and Rich Gardner and Daniel Smith and Matt Whitney and Tyler Dell and Becky Easton because these men know me and love me and they know you and love you. 
That's better preaching than these gifted guys who we can occasionally listen to. But I encourage you, these guys should be your favorite preachers. Excuse me. I'm going to need another one. Collindale Life Group. I love you. Thanks for loving the Barlow so well. Thanks for pointing us to the gospel, for spending so much time with us every week, for always putting up with my melodramatic drama. I swear, if you wouldn't have put up with my drama, we all would have lost our salvation, died of heartbreak, and spent the rest of our lives lonely and afraid. You see what I did there? Albert Chin, I love you. You have the gift of encouragement. Before we met, I was completely overwhelmed by money and finances and financial stewardship. I had no confidence I could provide for my family. And God has used you to help me remember that all all things are possible with Him, especially when both horses are pulling in the same direction. I'm sorry, this is just the middle part of my sermon and then I'll pull it together. Here, Tyler, give me those, please. Ed Cotton, Trey King. When I think of you both, I think of a sequoia tree planted by a stream, as described in Psalm 1, though I added the sequoia. You are both men who have loved Jesus and raised a family with all your hearts. Thank you, I love you. Thank you for your love for the saints. Rita Santini, Jess Gardner, Michelle Smith. Let me take a deep breath here. You have loved and included and poured into Audrey in ways she has never experienced before and I have never seen before. You've shepherded her heart. And we are both so thankful for the love you've shown her. We love you. We thank you. Tina. You have secretly loved this church so well and now I'm making it public by making the delicious communion bread that we eat every week. Thank you. We love you. Thank you for your love for the saints. I want to spend the next hour. That's why this week was so hard in sermon prep because I want to thank you all and tell you how much I love you. I can't and I shouldn't do that. But I did find your last names on the covenant partners and I'm going to sound like an auctioneer. Andrus, Annenson, Atkinson, Baggett, Barlow's the older ones, Bears, Sprose, Browns, Burley, Burns, Chaffin, Chin, Clary, Collins, Cooper, Cotton, Crenshaw, Dean, Dell, Dylan, Drees, Easton, Fiedler, Foltz, Franzen, Gehring, Gordon, Gossett, Grauberger, Hoffman, Holton, Inda, Jones, Kessner, Kaiser, Kellum, Kettler, King, Keeter, Lease, Lindbergh, Lubke, Lynn, Murano, Marcourt, Mata, McGarvey, Miller, Moore, Piazza, Porin, Rogers, Sanders, Souter, Sauer, Scott, Seneca, Skinner, Smith, Stralo, Swindler, Voltsky, Whitney, Williams, Wilson. I love you guys. And I, not everyone's names made it in there. I love you, Crossing Church. Thank you for the love that you have for all the saints. Thank you, Tina. You guys love each other well, and you've loved my family very well. Are you guys thankful for the love that this church has for each other? Have you experienced it like I have? If God called you to plant a church in China and you got a few minutes up here, would it be hard? Would you need tissues and tissues and tissues? 
It still would be exciting calling to go plant a church in China, but part of your heart would feel like it's being ripped out to leave this church. If you don't, I don't want to make you feel guilty. But I just want to encourage you to push in. These are wonderful people. Yeah, they're sinners. They're going to offend you. They're going to hurt your feelings. But loving the bride of Jesus Christ is worth it, and they will love you back. That's why you always hear us up here saying, join a life group, join a life group, join a life group. You're missing out on so much this church has to offer. If you don't meet midweek with some of the saints from this church and encourage each other in the gospel. I hope you guys will all commit to pushing in even more to your life groups and to this church on Sunday mornings. Moving on. Final virtue that Paul thanks God for is hope. I think I made it. Hope, verse 5. He says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. This goes hand in hand with faith. And as the quote I read earlier said, it's not a holy hoping for the best. It's a certainty because it's laid up for us in heaven. Paul is so thankful that this truth has taken root in the hearts of the Colossian church. And we have assurance We have assurance that God will never break His promises. That we will live with Him in the new heavens and the new earth. The hope of heaven is certain. You can't be made unalive. You can't be unborn again. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen to 1 Peter 1, 3-5. We preached through this a year or two ago. These are some of the best verses in the Bible. Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise Him. Thank Him. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Isn't that good? This hope sees us through the best of times and the worst of times. And from it flows an ability and a desire to love. The reality of the hope of heaven is one of my favorite truths. I don't stand up here and and try to make myself sound like a super spiritual guy and never want to come off that way. I'm just a sinner saved by grace like all of you. But I think a gift the Lord has given me, to be honest, is that I am daily captivated by the reality of heaven. And I love being here. I love you guys. I love my wife. I love my kids. I want to see them grow up. But I long to be with Jesus face to face. And that's probably why this reality is behind two of my favorite songs ever. If you want to look over and see me just praising God in tears, it's when we're singing one of these songs. We sang one of them a couple weeks ago. But the first one is, How Can I Keep From Singing? You guys know this song. Listen to it today. It goes like this, a little bit of it. My life goes on in endless song above earth's lamentations. I hear the real, though far off hymn that hails a new creation. Through all the tumult and the strife, I hear its music ringing. It sounds an echo in my soul. How can I keep from singing? I love that. That the song of heaven is always beckoning us home. 
And no matter what tumult and strife we're going through, we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. So how can we keep from singing? The other one is we will feast in the house of Zion. We sang it a couple weeks ago. If you were sitting in front of me over here, I'm sorry because I was screaming it. It goes like this. We will feast in the house of Zion. We will sing with our hearts restored. He has done great things, we will say together. We will feast and weep no more. We have this hope in heaven that enables us to get through anything. May we keep our eyes on it. I spent a couple of years in seminary. I didn't finish, but um, one of the years I was there, I had this awesome professor, and he shared this story that I pay forward to you guys, a great illustration of this truth. He took his family to Mexico on a family vacation, and to save some money, they didn't stay right on the beach. They stayed inland quite a ways. And so they were taking a bus to the beach one day. And they get on the bus, and they're heading to the beach, and they're so excited, right? You're going to the beach in Mexico. I've never been, but I bet it's really nice, really sunny, and I picture white sand and hammocks and awesome stuff at the beach. But they hit a traffic jam pretty bad. They get stuck. And he has time to change his perspective from the beach to the bus, and he realizes, I don't think the AC's been on this whole time, and it's Mexico, and it's the summer very hot, stifling hot, and he realizes how bad the bus stinks. Maybe the bus took some drunk people home last night because it smells like throw up and we're packed in here like sardines, and he just started getting really cranky and upset about this bus, but then he took a moment and said, but wait a minute, I'm going to the beach. I can get through this bus ride because I'm going to the beach, and it's the same for the Christian life, you guys. The bus ride here can be rough. As Pastor Aaron says, we live in a Genesis 3 world. Sometimes we're going to notice that the AC's not on, that it stinks, we're packed in like sardines, but we're going to the beach. And may we never lose the hope of this feast with Jesus Christ in the house of Zion. That's what's going to get us through this hope laid up in heaven that nothing can touch. It is imperishable and undefiled. Paul is thankful to God for the faith, love, and hope of the Colossians all of which are born out of the gospel. He says that all throughout these verses, he calls it the word of truth. He says the gospel, the grace of God in truth. In verse 6, he says, it's come to you and it's indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. The gospel has been bearing fruit and increasing in the whole world as it did in the Colossian church as it does in the Crossing church. One of the biggest things I've learned and loved about this church and the culture we have at this church, not just from the pastors, but the culture here is this. And you've heard me say it before. The gospel isn't only our entry point into Christianity. It's the path that we walk as Christians. The gospel isn't only for unbelievers. It's for those who profess faith in Christ every day. We just heard Jack remind us we should preach the gospel to ourselves every day. We enter by the gospel. We grow by the gospel. We never move away or on from the gospel, only further up and further in into a deeper understanding of the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and the love of God. We need the gospel every day. And it's not as if the first time we believed it didn't take. 
not in a way that questions our salvation, but as a reminder, because we remember our hearts are prone to wander and we're prone to become lethargic about the Gospel. We need the reminder of the hope of heaven every day and every Sunday morning. Every Thursday night, that's when I meet with my life group. We rehearse the Gospel to each other. We need to remember the power that we have to fight sin and to love our neighbor. We need a reminder of the love God has for us and the love we have for Him. Woe to us if we get tired of hearing this news. If familiarity has bred contempt, it is not the fault of the Gospel of God. It's the fault of our sinful hearts. Dane Ortland says it like this in his book, Gentle and Lowly. This is one of the best quotes I've ever heard. I have it written in the back of my Bible. Our lethargic apprehensions of the uproarious joy of divine pardoning lower the ceiling on whom we perceive God to be, but they do not limit who God in fact is. Isn't that a beautiful sentence? Our, I'm going to say it and you know, translate it, because there's a lot of words there that are hard to understand. Our lazy understanding of the amazing grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ Lower the ceiling on who we think God is, but not who He is. So when we get lazy and tired of hearing the Gospel, it's our fault. It's not the Gospel's fault. And I'm not assuming that of anyone. I know we come and we love to sing to God because of the Gospel. But we check our hearts when we come. If we get tired of hearing the Gospel like we've heard from me, it's the best news ever. It's the truest news ever. It's the greatest news ever. May we never grow weary of hearing, believing, loving, and sharing the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's why we get the gospel every Sunday from every book. Our pastors have taught us this well and lived it out well. They believe Jesus when he says in Luke 24 that the whole Bible's about him. So if you're considering joining this church, if you're visiting this morning, you need to know that we preach through books of the Bible, but we believe every book in some way, shape, or form points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you will hear it explicitly or implicitly or an aspect of the gospel every single Sunday you are here. One pastor in a movie says it like this, if, if, you could, if we could preach a gospel in a Jewish synagogue and not get thrown out, we haven't preached a Christian sermon. Even when we're in Exodus, when we're in Habakkuk, when we're in Zephaniah, in Psalms, in some way, shape, or form, those are about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we get it here every Sunday, and I've grown to love it. I will never be a part of a church that doesn't give me the gospel and give you the gospel every single Sunday. You guys, we need the gospel, and we need each other. And we should be thankful for the gospel and thankful for each other. It's been a simple message this morning, and I just overflowed tell you guys, I love you. I am so thankful for this church and thankful that the gospel has borne this church, that we have seen gospel root and gospel fruit. This is the ministry philosophy of Acts chapter 2. I love that about this church. We don't do the, the pragmatic, like what's the, how is this church growing and let's go figure out what they're doing and do it. Let's be gospel-centered in a gospel community. And that's how the gospel took over the world. That's how we're Christians right now. Because a bunch of people for 2,000 years has been, have been gathering and praising God for the gospel and doing it together. May we thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for the gospel and for the crossing church. Let's pray.
Lord, we love you. Can't believe what you've done for us, Lord. You plucked us out of a path to hell, transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved Son, the kingdom of light. You've given us the hope of heaven. The gospel has taken root in our hearts here at the Crossing Church and bears fruit in our love for you and love for each other. I thank you so much for the opportunity to be a part of this body for three years, two years as the intern, Lord. We love you. We declare our love for you. Let's pray, Lord, that you would continue to bear fruit in the Crossing Church, that the gospel would always be the center and seen as the path that we walk, always pointing each other to the gospel. And we do that together, Lord. We love you, praise you, pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.